Today, I'm joined by Lynn Parent, who is uh, an estate agent in Surrey, and she's here to join about her amazing story of both being in a state agency and out of a state agency, the trials, the tribulations, the hopes and the dreams. Thanks for joining me today, Lynn. Thanks, Chris. Um, Lynn, um, when, you, when you were born, talk, talk to me a bit about your parents. When, where, where were you born and where were you brought up? I was born in Paris in the 60s, so met my name, Baron, and um, I, they divorced, so I flew over with my mother and she met her third husband in so, Surrey. So why did your mum come to England? To, to England? She, was, she was English. My mother was English, born and bred, very, very British. Still got your mum? Yes. Georgia. Does she still have a does she have a slight French twang? No, she's English. She's a king. she's proper. Yeah, proper frightfully teacup. Her father was aide de camp to the King of England, so we're all lovely. So mm, very interesting. So I came over when I was five years old, and I was made to live with my grandfather, who was a brigadier. So quite hard for a French girl. And, I didn't like the French. <laughs> and do you still have your dad? Um, no, my real father in Paris died in 2004. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, did you have much contact with your dad whilst? Every couple of years, yeah, and then every year because Paris was way more sexy than it was, it was to live in Surrey. What did your father teach you as you were growing up? Uh, to be very strong, to um, have character and always, always use your manners. So manners was, was absolutely 100%. And whilst you were growing up, did you have French grandparents as well? Um, French, but mainly English. Mainly English, because yeah, you spent English. most of your time in England. Yeah. Okay. So, what did your what did your mum and your um, grandfather teach you? Well, my mother's a very famous artist, so um, she always worked from home. So um, she works for Waterford Ainsley and Wedgwood and all the china designs. So she was taught me to be myself, to be authentic. Um, Always smile and to be honest with integrity. That's fascinating. Loyalty is premium. Loyalty, where do you think that came from? Uh, my grandfather being a brigadier. Yeah, loyalty. And, and I brought that way through my life. What did, what did you, apart from loyalty, what did your brigadier grandfather teach you? Well, I was very young and I couldn't speak very much English. Um, he taught me to speak well. Um, he taught me to sit up. He taught me... Um, about um, always eye contact and um, what children were seen and not heard. So I was always taught to be secondary at that time. How did that make you feel at the time? Fine. I didn't know any different. You know, I was a, a very attractive little girl in French, you know, in a little school in Rygate, you know, couldn't speak a word of English, apart from <laughs> shoes and sweets. And I just got, a, I got away with it. I got away with murder. I always got away with things. So my personality brought me through. I was lucky. What did your grandmother teach you? Uh, love, nurturing, um, home base, um, to be real. Um, and, and, and not just that, always to be kind to others the way you'd want to be treated yourself. So it sounded, even though you got uprooted from, from mean, France, it actually was actually a present in disguise. I was very lucky. I always believe my mother married her third husband to the most amazing man, Englishman, who was again last Second World War veteran, 
Royal Navy, um, Air Force. So, and he was equally incredibly, incredibly good, gentle, kind, and, and very, very honest and loyal. There seems to be the word loyal. All the way through. All the way through, like, yeah. a, like a piece of rock. Yeah. How do you feel when someone breaks that loyalty? Betrayed, massive betrayal, um, uh, questioning myself. Um, what, what did I do wrong? Always, always analyse myself. I always analyse, what did I do wrong? What, how can I be better? What can I do for this never to happen again? Do you worry what other people think about you? No. So that's Not quite a rare skill, because all of us should take reference from that. Yeah. But, but interestingly, you know, so when you lose a valuation, yeah. do you say, what could I have done better, as opposed to, that's been personal, it's been like, uh, like a dagger through the heart? Yeah, I often lose valuations, but I often get them back, four months down the line. Now that's quite a rare, if you don't mind, like, can we yeah. go down that little, yes, that little rabbit hole now? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I love going down rabbit holes. I know you do. <laughs> um, normally when, uh, let's just say these three estate agents get called out, agent A, B and C, yeah. uh, and agent B gets it over value, cheap fees, whatever. Yeah. It's very rare for the vendor to go back to A and C and they normally call out agent D because they feel embarrassed on you know calling a and c you know i told you so the fees are too low or yeah. the valuation was too high how do you get them back the second time um i keep in contact with them yeah but there's keeping in contact and there's i knock on their door i go and see them and see how their agent's doing i follow them and if it's a house i would like to sell and that makes a big difference to me i don't just take any house on it's a house i'm passionate about that's lovely that the the actual owners are good people and we have a good synergy together. If we don't have a good synergy, it doesn't work. Do you, why do you often lose them then? I mean, um, there's a lot, it's very competitive out there. It's incredibly competitive. Um, probably because I'm so honest. I'm really honest to them. With, with the valuation? Absolutely dead on, yeah. And I tell them my A, B and C plan. I tell them my strategy and it always works. Um, usually my uh, fee is probably too high for them. So they have to go and find out because often I find estate agents don't chase them up. They go, oh, I've lost it. No, they, they ate I, me. I've, you dog look, with a bone. You are like a dog. Dog with a bone. Why do you think most estate agents aren't like that? Because uh, they're not, I think are they? they have so many valuations. I probably don't have so many valuations. I door knock and I actually take the houses I'm really interested in taking on more than getting valuations. I do it the wrong way around. I'm an estate agent that does everything upside down. Yeah, but does it make you happy? Yeah, I love it. It's a challenge. So when I door knock a house, I see it's been on the market for three or four months. I go up and see them and say, you know, have you not got an offer yet? And, you know, where are you thinking you're moving to? And I get into conversation. I said, look, give it another couple of weeks. If your estate agent hasn't done this, this and this, seriously, I'll happy to do it for you. I think 99%. So... It's not a case of necessarily losing. You do lose some, but you're probably most of it because you deal with the upper quartile, don't oh, you? Yeah. In that, what, in that Surrey, one, Surrey Hills way? Yeah, one to two, but mainly three upwards. That's three million? Yeah. Okay, yeah, because some... Sorry. Know, it's, it's yeah. all right. I know, not 300,000. <laughs> three million. <laughs> so that's so that's a Surrey Hills, so that's basically anything from Seven Oaks in a, in a band going yeah, to Guildford. Yeah, right up to Guildford yeah. and right up through Cobham and Oxshott. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, I stack houses as well. So I bank houses. I have five houses now that I'm going to market in February next year. I, I've told them not to put it on until February next year because of their circumstances. I'm in New Zealand selling over there. And to be honest, the market is so not what they want it to be and not what I believe I could give them the best option. Next year is better for me. It's quite so brave that you think. Uh, the fact that it might change their mind, not really. No, I love it. I, I'm so challenged by that. Is that what gets you up in the morning? Absolutely, yeah. You're so not, I only look You're not like a normal estate agent, are you? No, totally, that's a, that's totally a compliment, weird. by the way. Oh, is that? Okay, thank you. It, no, it is. So a... five to six houses I look after. So I'm bespoke. I only look after between five and six houses because I don't want to talk to more than six people a week. It's enough. It's a lot of it's a lot of energy. I put a lot of my passion towards everything I do. Let's find out a bit a bit more about you, Lynn. Yeah. Okay. So as you're growing up, yeah. under the loving umbrella of your mother and the, and your new stepfather and your grandparents. Yeah. Let me guess. You didn't necessarily want to be an estate agent at that time. None of us did, no, did we? A model. Yeah. No. But my father's a very famous estate agent, and my brothers are, and they've kept the name going, Perron Immobilier, in France, Paris, and the south of France. They're huge. They're bigger than those big as probably um, the larger guys out there. I've been going that. for 48 years. Is it just pure coincidence that you fell into a estate agency in 1990, even though you I wanted to meet famous people. And I knew I could in Putney because there were lots of actors and actresses. So I learnt to door knock. You know, I'm, I'm seeing here you started your first job in 1980. Oh, yeah. Um, for first sleeves. That was being a hawker, selling shirts and jumpers, big bag, knocking on every office door in Mayfair. So learnt all the door slammings, get out. And honestly, the ones that told me to get out, I'd go back in, sell them a trojan of, of shirts. Yeah, it's great. And you were dealing with some pretty big names at this yeah, point, huge. weren't you? Yeah, huge. Do you think you got a lot of that business because they they recognised that you were persistent and passionate? I'm really naturally passionate, and I'm I don't know. I think that's something crazy about me, but I am always really happy in the way that I love doing my work. You see, you see a door in your face as a challenge and say, yeah, I'm going to get you invested. Not in a nasty way. No, not in a nasty I way. I turn it. I love to. So I'm a solution person. I solve solutions. So I always solve <coughs> solutions. If I can't get anywhere, I'll find another way around to get into it. And that's my challenge. See, most estate agents, they tend to be on the scale. They're more influencer style, which yeah. is they are, <clears throat> sorry, um, they're very, um, use their people skills to, to get the business. The downside is, is that when they get rejected, because their biggest fear is rejection. Yeah, I know. I quite like rejection. That's I think, that's, I think that's from um, having massive rejection as a child, you know, or, and living with older people. So at the age of five, I was with someone who's in his 70s, um, brought up with an older generation. So very good with older people. Um, I, I just think that's just my challenge. Do you think it's something that can be learned from someone in their 30s and 40s? Gosh, yes, yeah. How do you learn? Looking at the good in people, look at the best solution. Um, Is that a mindset thing? Yeah, definitely. I've gone through a lot of pain in my life. I think maybe I've gone through so much pain in my life that really 
things don't touch me as they used to. Well, we could be coming on to that. You've yeah. had some pretty uh, heavy, heavy stuff that's hit you yeah, in the life. Yeah. So throughout the 80s, you were in London, Milan, Paris. It, yeah. sounds, it sounds like a perfume advert. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, did you, and you, did you, and you went to Australia as well? I did. I went for... Why, why, why all, you know? I, I, you know, 21, you know, I wasn't going to university. So the next good thing is to go overseas. So I just... Having the time of your life. Yeah, but I set up a business straight away. I'm an entrepreneur, so I had incredible ideas. Is it the thrill of the chase or the money that interests no, you? No, um, doing something that was very different that no one else did. It. I'm an opportunist, so I can look anywhere on my daily and literally find so an opportunity. So you like to build? All the Do time. you get bored, though? Very. Yeah, two years. Can you not see my CV? I can see Every two CV. years. I've got more, I've got like more gear than a... I know. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it keeps your interest going. I think as long as you're challenged, you succeed. You don't have to stay in success, but you can go to the next challenge. I mean, a bit like Richard Branson, really. We all went to school together, so I'm sure there was an influence there. In 1990, you decided, you because you'd set up uh, your own dressability, which yeah. is a, 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 a... Lifestyle dressing. Fantastic. For social people uh, and, and got girls going around to Chiefs and Hawks and tailor-made suits um, for men in the city, um, organised their Churchill shoes, their shirts. So I set up a service for women who are socialites and who wanted to go to the big ball and I'd show them three outfits so I'd design one for them, have everything delivered for them from their lingerie, shoes, to their clothes. Plug and no play. No one else did that. Sarah that Ferguson. seems so obvious now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sarah Ferguson was one of my clients. I had, I've had a lot of clients I can't tell you about, but a lot of very, very wealthy. And I mean, I, I went to Paris and John Cruz was on the plane. It was crazy. And um, I had to go and buy a mink coat for someone's lover. Uh, top grade man. Anyway, um, I didn't know how to take it across to Paris. So I wore it and took a first class ticket, took it to the Georges Sank, paid the porter because he had to come up from a cold storage room on Boxing Day to give to his lover this beautiful fur coat. And at the time, um, John Cruz was on the flight and asked if I wanted to go out for a drink. I went, Absolutely not. You know, amazing genre of interesting so, People. What, so why in 1990 did you decide to become an estate agent? Um, oh, Margaret Thatcher, everything went crazy. The big black day that mm. every person literally in the middle management and, so, and service literally crashed. So I was... pulled the plug out of my business. I didn't go bust or anything. I just pulled the plug, decided there was no leverage for good clients anymore or I wouldn't be paid. And I was living in Chelsea at the time. And so I thought, why not? I might as well start selling properties. I've met these people. I'll start selling their houses. It was just as simple as that. Yeah. The... So I knocked on a guy's door and said, would you take me on? And there's some very famous people in Putney at the time. And you liked your famous people. I did. What did you learn about a state agency in those two years? Um, consistency. Um, Always, um, always being very tight to your paperwork. Your admin was had to be second to none. Uh, 
Not my say that's not terrible. your terrible. I know you. I know just, your paperwork's awful. I literally have to have PAs now because yeah, my paperwork is terrible. Yeah, and I know that I yes, work but at least the best. Self awareness is everything. Absolutely, and I explain that to my clients. Please excuse me if I have spelt something wrong in my WhatsApp. I am slightly dyslexic, uh, but I work twenty four seven for you. They're fine as long as I tell people. I'm That's honest. the main thing, isn't it? Absolutely. So going back to... Communication is what you said earlier on. Absolutely. Talking, being open, being honest. It's so much easier. Um, people would say, crikey, you're not honest being an estate agent. But, you know, I think it, I think there's a lot to, to be talked about, being honest and being grounded and not telling them everything, but being very, very um, open to what you're doing. Yeah. Getting them to help you as well. You can't be everything. You then had something that quite innocuous that changed your life. Yeah, I was an estate agent with a really, really, really high-end net worth houses. And my sister said, look, that all the, she was a well-known, my sister's a well-known um, makeup artist and all the supermodels at that time were getting tattoos. And she said, come to Portobello and I'm going to get a tattoo done. I'd like you to, you know, be the person that backs me up and, you know. Um, so I went to Portobello Road with her in July and um, just had a little tiny tattoo done. And I said, I'm your older sister, I'll go first. And um, she had one after that. And, you know, we didn't tell our parents. It was not the done thing to do. You couldn't tell people about tattoos. It was like a naughty but nice type thing. Anyway, two months later, I became incredibly ill and was sent to hospital and packed in ice. Um, I was... I was fine. They thought it was malaria because I'd just come back from Thailand. And then I was told to go in just to try out a few things and just a few more blood tests. And uh, it's funny how your subconscious comes out. This woman came and said, I've really got to take a test for you. And, you know, you, you won't like it, but it, you have to, we have to eliminate absolutely everything to start the chart again. I went, yeah, okay. And they said, well, one of it is an AIDS test. And I went, but I'm not Rock Hudson. I'm not gay. You know, I, I don't do, I'm not a bad girl, you know. Anyway, um, she said, next day I'll come back, let you know. And she came back two hours early, slammed the door really hard. And I said, oh my God, have I got AIDS? And she said, yes. And you've got six months to live. Six months to live. So I suggest you get yourself started. Literally, I, I, my head went round, literally turned round. Um, shock, horror, pain, terrible anger. Hadn't got married, you know, hadn't had children, had a fantastic business. Did your sister come down with it? No. Just think if it had yeah, been the other way around. One. Yeah. Would have been her if she was first. Uh, but no, no, no. That was a proper sliding doors moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, I learned through my life. I've gone through a lot of pain, stigma, but through my life, I decided to go straight to New Zealand. And the reason why was because um, it was a peaceful, calm place. I felt it was a better place for me to be because everyone kept crying, of course. How do you deal with it? I mean, I've got a very good friend, a chap called Sanjay. Uh, Gandhi, which I know yeah. a lot of people watch, and he's got a cancer at the top of his spine going into his brain. And he, he's, you know, everyone, he's saying it's similar things. It's How? a process he has to go through. I have, I've, I've done lots of little messages to him because I, 
You have a, you have to have peace with yourself is number one. So I had to learn about getting peace for myself. So I'm probably very different to other people uh, in the way that I don't have the same sadness of death. You know, I'm, I'm quite happy. You know, I'm really happy. So I'm very much in the now. So what I can say to other people is you have to process and forgive gratitude. But you've got all these people coming at you, crying at you. Yeah, it's very sad. That's the hardest thing to take. You're, the, you're basically a counsellor. Because they're almost crying for themselves, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely, I've... and missing you. Yeah, and yeah, and they always you ask gone. you, definitely with HIV and AIDS, they kept saying, how did you get it? That's all, and you know, every time people picked up my glass, oh my God, I might catch something. And that still happens now. Was there the medication on HIV that there is? Yeah, I didn't take medication for 22 years. Um, I got married and did everything against the book, had a baby, and um, left my husband, unfortunately, Long story short, I lost custody of my son because I was HIV in the courts in Rotorua back in 98. So I spent 13 years trying to get him back. So my whole motion and my whole structure, my whole body was to get my son back. So I don't think I thought about myself one bit. So a lot of it is not self-thinking about yourself, self-pity, moving forward like Sanjay is doing a fantastic um, event, you know, for awareness for other people, it actually drives you into a better direction. But if you had, if you had no medication, how did, how did, how are you still arrived? I think there are about um, eight to nine different strengths of HIV. Um, I found out after six months I wasn't dying, by the way, I was wrongly diagnosed. Um, I didn't have AIDS, I had HIV, but I had a very, very low CD4 count, so I could have died of an AIDS-related you know, but at that time, you know, Philadelphia was, it was terrible. The, you know, it was, it was, it's like the Grim Reaper in Australia and New Zealand. It was, it was, so I did the opposite. I got married, had a baby. I left my husband, unfortunately, realizing that I didn't really need to be with someone who was younger and who was really um, there for me. Lost custody of my son and spent all that time giving back, him back and then crusaded for women and children who had HIV in New Zealand and the stigma that is still there. So um, massive fashion shows. I used all my work and all my education I had with the um, fashion magazine in London, uh, all of my connections. I used to be a model years ago, back in the day, in the crikey, back in the day. Um, and yes, um, most of the time, you always work towards that goal of trying to make an awareness of what you have without you being really involved, if possible, because everyone comes to you the whole time. You can't give the answers to anything. So I, I spent a lot of time um, in New Zealand in the last couple of years promoting uh, myself of, of awareness and public speaking and to children at school, year nine, year 11, for health, um, telling them that, you know, it's okay, that you have actually just got to take a test before you have sex, yeah. Meanwhile, whilst you were doing this, you were in fashion, yeah. you did a few years in a state agency, you have to be qualified I in New yeah, I had to do the. I had to do the years, um, it's like a degree, but I had to do the year's license. And funny enough, you have to keep your license up and you have to pay about $1,500, about £800 a year to keep it up. Of course, I lapsed it over after 10 years and I'm redoing it now, actually. Why are you not still in New Zealand? 
2020. You got your son back, by the way, I hope. Yeah, well, he, yeah, 15, he came back. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's now 26. Wow. And uh, he's got custody of his own daughter. It seems to carry on a cycle. His cycle hasn't broken. Um, so, uh, 2020, March, my sister rang up and said, my mother's really ill, I've got to come back for a couple of weeks and just sort it out, or whether she's going to die. I knocked on the door, 7th of March, 2020. That was a week before it all went Suddenly, Excuse my French. Yep. Jacinda Ardern wouldn't allow Kiwis to go back into the country. Yeah, so, that was for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, a long time, two years. So for two and a half years, I didn't see my husband, my daughter, my son, my granddaughter. So all I could do was a girlfriend of mine told me to just get a license and work for a great agency called Finding Country and door knock. And I door knocked literally five days a week. I didn't have any friends, really. I literally door knocked every day. Met some incredible people. What did you learn from that? What did I learn from it? Persistency. Um, being the same, not changing. So when you're going the first month, you're exactly the same as you are the second month and the third month. And I'd go and give my magazine and I'd tell them about, a bit about my story about coming here from New Zealand. They didn't really want to know. Um, but when I changed my car from a, from a, um, a Golf and then none of, the, none of the gates opened on my Golf. But when I got a Mercedes, a convertible Mercedes, oh my God, the gates opened. I couldn't believe it. I had no idea. You know, I hadn't been here for 30 years. So, you know, my, in my day, all the men who drove Ferraris and Lamborghinis were all over 60. Now they're younger than me, they're in their 20s, you know. Life had really changed. We're going to do a separate video about yeah. the power of door knocking yeah. uh, and how it can generate business. But oh, let's gosh, come back yeah. to your story. Mm -hmm. um, you moved away from, Nest, uh, from Final Country to Nest Associates, which yeah. is a, another self-employed model. Yeah. How long have you been with those? I, I left um, Filing Country in 21 because my business partner walked away. Uh, so I decided on my own I would um, carry on with Nest because I was selling my mother's cottage at the time at 450000 in um, Surrey, in, in Godalming, uh, sorry, Godalming, Shelford. And then um, I got very good backup. You know, I was with a guy who'd been with finding country for seven years so his model was really worked for me i'm quite a free spirit so i wear the clothes i want to wear that suit me i uh, work within my realm of the areas i want to work with and i'd get, i'd make a phone call i'd get a phone call back within two hours you know it wasn't as a big conglomerate that um i wasn't very good at working in systems either so um, his... You're a bit of a free spirit. Much more of a free spirit person. So he, he understood me, really worked with me, saw my potential. And then two and a half years later, I moved my business to New Zealand. So I work in New Zealand as well, in Auckland and Queenstown. So I have Nest in New Zealand and in England. And it works. I was about to say, does it work? How does yeah. that work then? I have Nest Associates in New Zealand. Um, who, sell the, who sell the houses for me. I do all the door knocking because I love door knocking. So I go back, I go back at like the end of September until February, perfect timing, winter in England. And it's the summer there, perfect timing for there. And I literally door knock and give the agents. So you're a self-employed model that goes and gets the business yeah. by using door knocking. Absolutely. And then what about the houses that 
You might be able to door knock whilst you're in. I sell my houses over here when I'm in, in New Zealand. It's incredible. My daughter does all the, um, she's great. She does all so the lists. So your daughter will. She does all the viewings. So you've got, it's not as if you're leaving the UK. No, I'm, you've still got your daughter here who's very good at showing people around. Absolutely. You can negotiate over the phone. I do all the negotiations okay. on the phone. Yeah, I sometimes work at nine at night and you see until three in the morning. It doesn't worry me. I'm fine. And then you'll go, you'll go over and spend three or four months in New Zealand. Yeah. Door knock like hell to get the leads. To get all in the leads for your... and bring a video photographer over, do all the movies, do all the videos, do all the photography. So they get all done in the way that I made made sure it gets done professionally. And then you'll come back to they England in spring. It. Yeah, yeah, they come back in spring. I've banked a few houses for when I come back. I launch before I come back, usually a month before I come back. So you've got people who are prepared to wait until you come back to put the house on the market. Absolutely. They're not ready. Yeah. So that's why I am. I don't push them. When they're ready to sell, I'll give them a format. Where's a good time to sell? Why is a good time to sell? When they've decided where they're moving to. There's nothing worse than selling, which I have had twice now. Three million pound houses, three days before exchange, they weren't ready to move. And they've pulled out. I can't afford to do that again. The, the emotional intelligence that you put into a sale and put into a client and the passion and the amount of effort is too much. Yeah, I won't ever let that happen again. So I often use Gazelle for that. It sounds like you're in control of the situation. You're not beholden to other people. No. Do you enjoy it? Yeah, I love it. You're not going to go and flit off somewhere else? No, no. I'll reduce New Zealand because I have enough good agents who can actually run it. But you still need to go over there and do the door knocking? I need to see my son as well, my granddaughter. It's an excuse to see them. And that's the reason why I set it up. So I would never lose being a New Zealander and never lose um, seeing my children. You run your estate agency in two countries. Yes. You are. It's a self-employed estate agency model. Yes. And basically, you're queen of door knocking. Absolutely. They don't door knock out there. Well, not many agents in the UK do. Don't they? No. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. No. Okay. I always door knock. And door knock, um, all houses have been in the market over three or four months just to find out what's going on. Right. So I think we'll leave the video there. Yeah. Uh, we'll go down the rabbit hole of door knocking and yeah. what tips and guidance you give to people. Absolutely. We are also going to talk about the fact that you were diagnosed with ADHD and how yeah. you see that as an advantage in a state agency. Yeah. And we'll also talk about some other great topics, short, sharp videos. Do check them out on my YouTube channel. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Ha, ha, ha.